All right, so here we are. We're talking season six, episode eight. Uh, we're talking about, uh, what's the name of the episode? The one? I think so. Oh, no one. <laughs> oh, boy. That's embarrassing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, no, no, who remembers? No one. I guess, uh, see, and that was just, a, that was a mistake I made, but this is, this was, uh, this episode had some really, really, uh, it was, it was a couple moments, uh, that I, I really enjoyed. And, uh, starts out with, uh, Lady Crane as Cersei and Joff uh, in her lap, uh, and she's talking about family, my son, my firstborn son, my child, King Hush, listen to the gods for you, they sing. Fight no more, sweet child, your wars are won. The wolves are buried and the false stag done. Shut your blue eyes, my love, let the crown fall. The father beckons you in the seventh heaven. Uh, but then it turns to, to Arya's recommendation, and she says, But now I shall seek vengeance on Sansa and my brother the imp. Born among lions, our curse from within. And she's like, uh, With noose or things, it, though it take me a fortnight, a moon, or my life, I'm going to get my brother. A quick question, was that foreshadowing? I mean, it would be foreshadowing for season seven, presumably. I mean, maybe. You know, it was an off-topic conversation here, but I liked that this season, and I don't know when they did this or if they always did, and I was just aware of it this season. But this season, travel is much more convenient to the suspension of disbelief and the storytelling where... You know, whatever, if someone's going to complain about the continuity of travel, they're just going to ignore it because it's like, okay, this makes the story better. I don't know if they've done that the whole time or not, but, uh, yeah, it's like we got a story to tell here and people to let people enjoy it. Uh, we don't even have time for your times tables. Uh, sorry, that was, I guess that was a t- tirade. Uh, let's see. Stag Banner, Lion Sigil on Wood. Uh, a little ra- a little band playing the Rain's Cast Mirror up on the strings or something. Lady Crane goes into the mirror. Rum slash rum. Uh, it's like you coat I uh, coated in rum. <laughs> coated. I meant C O D D and C O A T. I think I have been the first one. I know I have been, unfortunately. Uh, but then she find Lady Crane finds Arya hiding. She patches Arya right up. Arya. And I found out this week I was mispronouncing. And I think I knew I was pronouncing Tommen's name wrong. But uh, Weiss pronounces it Tolman. Uh, then Lady Crane talks about how she got Bianca, or Bianca, uh, the girl that tried to get her. And then they wrote, does Arya really intend? Oh, okay, let's let me look at the dialogue here. Uh, Lee Crane says, hey, we're going to Pentos. You want to roll with us? You could be a good actress, and, you know, we need one. Arya says, I don't think I could remember all the lines. 
And she says, well, what is there left for you? And Arya says, you can't roll with me. With my nemesis looking for me, nobody's safe. And she says, well, who is she? First mentioned, she says, she doesn't have a name. And then she says, where will you go? And Arya, Arya says, Essos is east and Westeros is west. But west, what is west of Westeros? Said, holy tongue twister. But I was just wondering if this was like just uh, Arya blowing smoke, if she really intended an escape, or is this a fantasy she has? Uh, then Lady Crane's like, how about some milk of poppy? You, you got to rest, but Arya's nervous about it. But then she takes it and she uh, falls into deep sleep. Uh, then we see the clowns of the forest. These guys are clowning around for... Uh, cell sword types and they're having kissing lessons and the hound rolls in bustling market cause cow concourse oh okay he just took it there wasn't really much to say the hound rolled in on these forest clowns and he said uh he said hey why don't you guys go visit the the, the sept where i was and go see the gods and they said okay i guess you'll you'll send us there then there's a bustling market, cows on the concourse, I think. I think that's what this says. Bustling market cows, concourse. Uh, but there's a priest, priestess from talking about the Lord of Light and uh, the Khaleesi and the dragons. And Tyrion and Varys walking. This, that was this episode? Wow, this episode is really packed. Really, Tyrion and Varys? I thought this was last week. Uh, so Tyrion and Varys, they walk and they talk by the docks. And this, so this was one of these tiny moments, because we really aren't getting, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not, we're not getting the full Dinklage here this season, but we're getting enough. Uh, but they, they're talking because Varys is going on a trip, and he says, I'm going to miss you. Uh, at first, and then at first, Tyrion's bragging about how city's back to life, and Varys is like, you know, you're working with fanatics, and and then even it can't they think this might be some economics or something? Because uh, Tyrion says, well, if all is well, then all must be well, and Varys is like, you're drawing a conclusion from something like unrelated to that. I don't know how to do it. He's, he uses the metaphor, which is easy for people. He says, uh, if you shaved your beard with a straight razor, you'd say the razor worked, uh, but it doesn't mean the razor couldn't be used for something else. And then, uh, uh, Tyrion says, it's spoken like a man who never shaved. And then he says, I'm going to miss you. And he says, I hope you're right about this expedition. And Varys says, well, if I'm not, you know, I'll be toast. And he says, we need ships and friends in Westeros. And we need our queen back. And Tyrion's like, well, she'll be back. And then they separate because Varys is like, I better walk the rest of the way myself. If I'm on a, I can't go off on a secret mission in the company of the most famous dwarf in the city. Um, let's see, my heart, where does that say? I can't quite read my writing there. I'll go off. He pats him on the back when he says I'll go off. 
And there's a, I put subtext of love in what he says, the most famous man in the world or the most famous uh, dwarf in the city. And then Varys walks off and he says, uh, Tyrion says, Varys, the most famous dwarf in the world. And he has a sad little look goodbye. Uh, and it was just a few seconds, but it was wonderful. What a wonderful scene with those two together. And then uh, Tyrion even looks around to see if anyone saw his sad look. Uh, then we have a knock-knock at the door, and Clyburn uh, opens the door. And he says, Your Grace, uh, Faith Militant's here uh, to see you. And she goes, uh, well, How did you get in? And he goes, Well, they're demanding to see you. And she says, the king know either here? He goes, yeah, he's in. He's hiding in his room saying prayers. And it was good at first because when Clyburn's standing there, Cersei has her back to the Clyburn and to us, and she's sipping wine. Uh, the king is in his room, and she takes the wine to go, go. And then she comes out, she rolls with uh, Clyburn and the blue-faced man. And she goes out, and they're waiting outside, a bunch of the faith militant. And uh, Lancel says, uh, hey, this high septon wants to see you at the Red Keep, or the Great Sept. And she says he could come to the Red Keep, and he says this isn't a request. And she says it is a request. You're asking, Lancel, I'm refusing. And he says the high septon commands you. Are you sure you want to refuse him? And again, this is Cersei for a few seconds at her best. Uh, she says, well, you promised I could stay in the Red Keep until my trial. And Lancel says, you know, he doesn't roll in promises if you refuse to come. And she's like, get out. And then the blue-faced man steps up and Sansel says, step aside, sir. Order your man to step aside or there will be violins. And Cersei says, I choose violins. And then Cersei says, I choose violins. And then the blue-faced man says, why don't you guys just leave? And she says, please tell His Holiness he can come by whenever he wants. Oh, also, when Cersei said, are you, he said to Cersei, are you sure you want to refuse him? Clyburn gives these awesome slate uh, side eyes. And then after the blue-faced man kicks everybody out, Cersei and Clyburn both have orgasm orgasm faces, woe faces, I guess people call them. Like they're both ecstatic uh, with uh, the, the robots, uh, blue-faced man. And Lancel's all WTF, like that's what I put. Lancel WTF. He has a look like, what in the heck? And then there's this uh, underground shot up, and then uh, Smug Cersei and Clyburn. I put in a, I put Cly so sly double exclamation. But I love this Clyburn. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a mad scientist fan in general, uh, and I don't like to call people cats, but in this case, this cat is one. I mean, he's not a smooth operator, but he is an operator. Uh, like Cly so sly, double exclamation point. That's in parentheses too for some reason. 
So if anybody, if you run into them, if you're in Westerhouse, you know, it's not, I don't know. I probably should stay away from him. He said, eat something in his lab. I'd say, is this the candied plums? He'd say, oh, no. Which box did you eat that from? I said, I don't know. I don't remember. He said, oh, boy. Uh, then we have Pride, uh, Pod, Pod, Pride Pod and Brianne uh, looking down at Jamie, you know, at the River Run or whatever the heck we're at. Uh, and they're looking down and a little, a little comedy to relieve the tension. He, Padrick says, uh, looks like a siege, my lady. And she says, you have a keen military mind, Pod, total deadpan. I mean, somebody should get uh, Rihanna Tarth back in the time machine back. You know, she could go on the Borscht Belt circuit. Uh, I don't know who would she be best paired with other than Pod. Uh, but then these dudes come and Brianne says, tell Sir Jamie I'm speaking with him. Tell him I have his sword. And Brianne watches Jamie for, for, from afar on his white horse. Uh, uh, then we have Padrick and Bron, uh, and P- Bron rolls up on Padrick. He says, aren't you getting a, little, a bit old to be a squire? And they're happy to see each other. And then, uh, Bron's joking around and they're talking about how pretty Jamie is. And then they're talking, he, he, Patrick's like, well, Brian's training me to fight. And he goes, well, I could train you to do tricky fighting, like uh, sneaking up stuff. And he says, I'd love to learn that. Uh, then we have Jamie and Brianne. Now, that's the truth, isn't it? What does that mean? Oh, I don't know what that means. Now, that's the truth, isn't it? Oh, he says, uh, Patrick, I'll teach you a different sort of fighting. I guess... Uh, Oh, he says, sneaking up is a different sort of fighting. Well, that's a different sort of fighting. That's the truth, isn't it? Okay. But then we have a scene with Jamie and Brianne. Sorry about that. It took away from this great scene. Oh, also lots of red tents, I noted. Ah, different sort of fighting. Now I'm behind on my notes here. I'm falling behind on the show, believe it or not. That's streaming. Watching it with my right eye. Uh, but Jamie says, geez, I never thought you'd find Sansa, you know, in, in a war. He goes, well, I'm proud of you. He goes, you know, you fulfilled your oath to Caitlin Stark against all odds. He goes, now my sister, she's after Sansa, so in, so that's complicated. He goes, what are you doing here? And she goes, I need the blackfish, uh. She goes, Lady Sansa desires to take her ancestral seat back from the Boltons and assume her rightful position as Lady of Winterfell. And he's like, with whom? And she says, the Tully army here. And Jamie's like, well, that's the problem because we got him cornered. And, you know, I don't work for that side. I work for the other side. And he goes, well, we shouldn't. Uh, they go back and forth, you know, about who's right. He goes, we shouldn't argue about politics. And then Brienne gets this look and she says, you're, you know, she's sad for him. Oh, wait, let me get a couple eyeline notes here. I'm proud of you. When Jamie says that, uh, Brienne looks down into the side 
exactly. Uh, long silence. Something shouldn't. And then that's when she says, uh, you're a knight, Sir Jamie. I know there's honor in you. I've seen it yourself. He says, no, I'm a Lannister. I can't mess with my house. And she goes, well, let me try to help you work this out, like, peacefully. He goes, I'll go in there. She goes, I'll talk to Blackfish. Uh, and Jamie's like, it's not going to work. Uh, have you ever met the Blackfish? He's even more stubborn than you. Uh, but you can give it, a, give it a shot, you know. He goes, you got till nightfall. And then there's lots about Jamie's word. She goes, well, I need your word. You know, we can get out of here fine. And she goes to give her his sword back. And he goes, it's yours. It will always be yours. And she's like, she said, you gave it to me for a purpose, which I achieved. But he, he, it was a really, you know, Jamie had a complicated episode, this episode. And then there's this cute moment as she leaves with his sword. He, she, she says, one last thing, Sir Jamie. And he goes, yes, Lady Brienne. She goes, well, if I have to work with the Blackfish, you know, we're going to be against each other. Uh, you understand? He goes, oh, of course it does. And she goes, on other sides, like fighting. And he goes, well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Oh, she says, honor compels me to fight you. And then Jamie, best eyes, I put I don't know what that means. Oh, boy. I mean, he's just, he, the dude has some good eyes. Uh, but I think he was giving her his best eyes. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, it's playing. He just gives her this watching. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, the TV show's past me now. Let's see if I can catch up here. Yeah, Brienne is in, she's dealing with the stubborn blackfish. Oh, no, this is still the scene. Continue until the, oh. Yeah, the Blackfish is like, I'm not leaving anywhere. And she's trying to get him to read the letter. And then he reads, he's like, she's exactly like her mother, which gets a grin out of Brienne. But the Blackfish still won't yield. He won't give up. So uh, Brienne says, uh, Pod, find the maester. And he says, what do you want me to say? She goes, you know, tell Sansa I failed. And then we have a day in court, and uh, Cersei and her crew roll in, you know, mad scientist and a, uh, a blue-faced man. And Sir Kevin pulls a throne block, like Cersei rolls right up to the throne. And she goes, nope, uh, or Sir Kevin goes, on, hell no, you're not getting near this throne or your son. And uh, she goes, well, you need to stand by him. And then he drops some, what do you, what do you call that, patriarchy? Well, she goes, is there a r royal announcement or something? And he goes, yeah, we're going to do, we'll do one right now that you're here. I've been waiting for you, actually, for dramatic purposes. Not for the show. We're making a show for you, Cersei. And he goes, but your place is in the gallery with the other ladies of the court. And then Tolman speaks, I'll, uh, in the fiction, I'll always be Tom. And, and Cersei watches, her eyes are very glassy. Tolman's hands are on the throne, he's nervous, he's moving his hands. Anybody stands to this, he's got talking points. He's, even back then, he says, faith and the crown are two pillars that hold up the world. One collapses, so does the other. Father judges us all. Don't break his laws. 
He goes, I talked to the Septon. He goes, we're going to hold the Circe and Lorsa's trial in the Great Sept of Baylor Festival of the Mother. And the crowd's like, whoa, whoa, that's, uh, you know, whatever, holy uh, Oedipalian or something. I would just say this scene hangs in a few nearly quiet moments. And then Thomas says, also, no more trial by combat. Uh, he goes, that is brutish. Uh, he goes, Cersei and Loris are going to have to stand trial before seven, seven septons, as it was in the old days. And he says, seven blessings to all. And then I said, uh, he tries to get by his mom without eye contact. Uh, Clyburn was like in the back when he said no more trial by combat. It was just really good. Felt bad for Tom and Cersei's in shock as Tom Toman leaves. And then he, he's, he's, him and Cersei are facing us, the camera, uh, Tom and side by side. They're talking, not facing each other. Uh, so there's no eye contact, uh, Cersei, or maybe they're both looking to the left. I put twenty eight hundred. I don't know what that means. Oh, that's oh yeah. Watch the scene. It's at twenty two hundred minutes. Uh, definitely. I can't read that either. Looking to the left of camera. More, much more. Oh, so he says. Uh, remember that rumor you told me about that old rumor? He goes, maybe little birds looked into it. And she says, and was it a rumor or something more? And Clyburn says, more, much more, uh, which is nice, which that, that was funny, you know. Uh, or not funny, it was, what was a, sorry, I took a drink of water and then my mind went off. It, I don't know, it was just, I love Clyburn, I guess. So, so totally botched that. How embarrassing. But yeah. I guess I'm already thinking of the next scene. That's what I was thinking. It's funny. But yeah, there's nothing funny about that scene. Uh, then we have Tyrion and wine. Uh, he's drinking wine. Masande says, you seem happy. And Tyrion doesn't want to drink alone. So he talks those two into drinking with him. Uh, Grey Worm and Masande. Miss Sunday, as I like to call her. And they drink. He, he talks them into it. They're resisting at first. And he says, here's to our queen, long may she live. He drinks, gulps down his wine. And then she, he says, Grey Worm, what do you think of the wine? He goes, tastes like it's turned. He goes, yes, fermentation. He did that with a nice flourish. And then this is another tiny, tiny moment that kind of calls back to the earlier moment. And, and I don't know, just where you get a window into their soul. In, in, in my opinion, these two... Gave us these two moments, gave us a real peer. Not that we haven't seen Tyrion's soul before, but he says, one day after our queen has taken the seven kingdoms, I'd like to have my own vineyard, make my own wine. The imp's delight, only my friends could drink it. And there's just, a, that window's only open for a split second where he realizes, I can't have my, like, uh, where it's like, is it the irony who are his friends or that his friends are good going to be, you know? He's just vulnerable for that split second where he dares to dream and think of friendship. I'm watching it right now. Now he's getting the wine, fermentation. 
So this is good when we stream this. Yeah, one day, he's looking very proud, drinking, looking down. Like to have my own vineyard, make my own wine. Smiles. But yeah, there's just a split second moment, and then he changes the subject real quick. He says, uh, who knows a joke? Uh, he goes, Masande, tell me a joke. She goes, I don't know any jokes. He goes, Grey Worm? No. So then he tells a Westerosi joke about, you know, the upper class, and no one gets it. He goes, it's funnier in Westeros. Uh, and then they say, geez, I thought I don't get it. And then a joke is like a story, and it's not a true story. A story that's supposed to make you laugh. Uh, and then he says, well, what do you guys think about the wine? And then they're drinking the wine. Uh, foam died, so I don't, we can't watch the rest of the episode. But uh, uh, and then he says, Miss Sunday, uh, she, she, it, just, it just gets this lighthearted moment where she tries to tell a joke. She says, two translators are on a sinking ship. The first says, do you know how to swim? And the second says, no, but I can shout for help in 19 languages. And Grey Worm totally straight faces, that is the worst joke I've ever heard. And then everybody's cracking, cracking up. And then she goes, do you don't even know what a joke is? He goes, I'm a soldier. You think I never hear joke? And then they go, you lied to us. And then he goes, I make joke. Just like an android. It was so good. Uh, and then everyone's laughing and they're saying more jokes. Uh, then Tyrion gets, gets ready, but then the uh, bells start to ring. And then they go outside. Let me just see. Moment, tell me a joke. Uh, leans forward. Tell a joke. Grey Worm stutter. Uh, is that what it says? Studies her. Oh, studies her while she tells jokes. Yeah, I was studying Miss Sunday. Even Grey Worm smiles. Then the bells come. Muscles have come. Oh, the masters have come. Uh, they go out and they see all the ships from the um, masters. And then this scene, this is a scene, this is at 34 minutes. If you want to see, go, go back up and watch, rewatch these two scenes. That scene and then the scene with Jamie and Edmure is amazing. This is amazing, amazing scene. And I couldn't even understand it. I mean, I could have watched this scene 20 times. It's in in a tent and uh, Jamie's in full battle armor, looking smooth. But his armor was almost, uh, I don't know, it felt like a World War II moment for me a little bit. But Jamie rolls in, he says, uh, yeah, sorry about the way the phrase treated you. You know, you're supposed to be upper class. Don't worry. He goes, you have my word. Uh, you'll be properly fed. And uh, Edmure says, I have your word. He's got a really nice voice, too. He just scoffs. He goes, oh, uh, good, good. That's a fine thing. And again, this scene was very, very layered. But I think for people that have been wondering, what the heck's wrong with this Jamie guy for the whole season or for the whole show? This didn't give you a direct answer, but it did give you it did give us some insight through Edmure's eyes. But also that Jamie's no dummy. He's a dummy, but he's no dummy. You know what I mean? 
he, he Blackfish, because Blackfish gets, I mean, uh, Edmure still gets played, but he says, yeah, my uncle's not going to give up the castle, so I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and then Jamie says, well, you know, it's just, I think a lot about family, you know, because, because he goes, don't you have some Frey family now? He's like, didn't you, didn't you marry the only good looking Frey? And he goes, they can move you and your Frey family to Casterly Rock. And you'll be with your family. And J- uh, Edmure says, do you imagine yourself a de- decent person? He goes, is that it? Like, after all you've done all these years, you know, waged war. And yeah, Jamie's like, yeah, it's war, man. I'm sorry if our conflict has inconvenienced you. But rebelling against the crown has its consequences. And uh, Edmure says, yeah, for the Kingslayer to say that. And then uh, he says, this isn't a negotiation, Jamie says. And then Edmure took my breath away. He says, you understand on some level that you're an evil man. And it's just, you just got to watch the scene. I cannot do it even close to justice. Uh, Jamie says, I'll leave the judgment to the gods. And then Edmure says, well, well uh, that's convenient. And he says, you're a fine-looking fellow, aren't you? Your square jaw, your golden armor. Tell me, I want you to, I want to know, how do you live with yourself? He goes, all of us have to believe that we're decent, don't we? He goes, which, how do you get to sleep at night, uh, what do you tell yourself? Uh, but somehow Jamie's able to turn this all around instead of taking. I mean, also you're like, man, what is with this guy? Because uh, when he says, how do you live with yourself? Jamie looks off for a while. Uh, kind of like a thousand miles into the tent. And he says, all of us have to believe. And then Jamie looks off to the side. And he thinks for a minute, and he says, well, you know, I was your sister. And then he, he plays Edmure. He says, you know, I was your sister's captive. And he says, you know, he goes, uh, first Edmure gets mad, but that's kind of what Jamie's one. He goes, uh, he goes, she didn't like me, but I admired her because she loved her family first. Caitlin Stark, family first. That's what she used to say. And he was, I was always was awed by her love of family. Reminded me of my sister. And then Edmure says, oh, I get it. You're a madman. Uh, I mean, he's a, it was such a, I, I don't know, what a scene. Oh, boy, this scene. And just because it's just, a, again, I don't even really can even grasp what is going on. There's uh, so much gray Wonderful gray in this. Because uh, old time Edmure is the one getting played, even though he's telling the tr- doing some truth telling to Jamie and about Jamie. Uh, but I guess it's not the whole truth. But Jamie says, I'm not here to insult each other. He goes, your st- sister was so strong. And then Edmure gets mad. Loved her children. But he goes, yeah, just Caitlin and Cersei, they're free- fierce women. You don't often see that. They'll do anything. Start a war. You know, send, send you know, soldiers to cities. 
And he goes, Edmure goes, uh, or then he echoes the thing we do for love. Uh, that's Jamie's line. Okay, so then he says, we, we didn't come here to talk about our sisters. And Jamie says, that's exactly why I came here. I love Cersei. He says, it's fine if you want to laugh about it or sneer. It doesn't matter to me. She needs me, and I have to get back to her. So, so I got to get this castle dealt with so I can... I'll do anything to get back to Cersei. He goes, you don't matter to me. No, no one matters to me. No other people. Only Cersei. And he goes, whatever I have to do, I'll do to get back to her. And so I guess he is, I said, well, Jesus, is he a madman or not? Uh, or, you know, just unifocused. Uh, but then uh, we see boots in the mud, and it's Edmure's boots. And he's rolling back to the, oh, wait, let me just see. Oh, Jamie plays him. Only, when he said only Cersei, I put us five. No, that's only four. One's a double. So, sorry about that. Three dots. And then a really thick exclamation point and three more. But he breaks Edmure with the truth about Cersei. That's how he gets them. Uh, we see boots in the mud. Somebody says, who goes there? And then we have Blackfish versus the Lord of River Run. Uh, and then he says, my lord. And he says, my lord, my lord. I demand entry. Lower the drawbridge. Edmure rolls in. He looks back. He sees Jamie on his white horse. And then Brown's like, I hope you're not wrong about this. And then Edmure hands up his torch. He goes upside, upstairs. Oh, the thing that was my lord, my lord. He said, he, he is my lord. He's my lord, my lord. Uh, but Edmure rolls upstairs. He says, uh, give up. We're giving up. Uh, we're surrendering all our uh, stuff. Let him in. And at first they were like, what? But then they're like, well, whatever. And then in March, the Lannister, rich Lannisters in the broke-ass phrase. And then they say, find the blackfish, and there's really good music. Then the Lannisters march on the castle, very in-step, uh, very authoritarian, like a freaking fascist on parade. And then Blackfish helps Brienne and the Padraig out, and she, Brienne says, come with us. He says, no, you'll serve Sansa far better than I. And then as soon as they take over the castle, they're already hanging Lannister and Frey banners and stomping on Tully banners. And then the next scene is Jamie's out in the moonlight thinking and just looking out over the river, the moat. It was some nice night bug noise. And he sees Brienne and Pod rolling away. And then he, like, uh, Looks to the side, looks some, looks to the side, see if anybody else says his mouth moves like he's going to say something. Then he waves goodbye. And Brienne waves and she gulps. And then we have the, the pyramid and the uh, masters are trying to take the pyramid. And Tyrion's like, whoops, I was wrong. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, I guess I was uh, mistaken. He goes, maybe we should get a beachhead going. And the Grey Worms takes, takes authority. He goes, no, 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 no more talking for you. Your talking gave us this. He goes, you're not going to tell me what the army should do. Uh, I'll take care of it. And he goes, we've got to keep the pyramid safe. 
and we'll stay here. And then all of a sudden the pyramid shakes. Uh, the Unsullied are ready. Then they fall to their knees. And the key, Khaleesi rolls in with music, a dragon in the background. Very heroic, her entry. Hair run, uh, hair, or her. Hair, hair, heroin, heroin, how come heroic isn't heroin, heroin, oic, uh, she's badass, I guess badass is what it was, took my breath away there too, uh, then we have the hound, he finds his men that he was looking for, and it was good news, because the brothers, brotherhood without banners is not the bad guys, it turns out, so I was very happy, because I love those two, I love, uh, Flaming Sword, but now I can't think of their names. I, maybe I wrote them down. I'll probably think of them. The priests, oh, Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion. I love those two guys. Yeah, so then, and then they say, hey, why don't you take some boots back? And then they all watch as uh, the hound puts on his boots. And then they go back to camp. He's like, you got anything I can eat? And, you know, Clegane's very tough. But then they say, hey, you uh, you ought to join us. Uh, and he goes, I don't join anything. And Dandarian says, or one of them says, Clegane, we're here for a reason. Uh, the Lord of Light's keeping Barrack alive for something. He goes, I'm a failed, failed priest and a drunk. He's got me. So we're part of something larger than ourselves, uh, and Clegane says, well, yeah, a lot of larger stuff has people do bad stuff. And he goes, the cold winds are rising in the north, and we got to stop it. We need good men. And they say, well, you don't even like us. Uh, or Hound says, you were after me. And Barrick says, yeah. He goes, but uh, the Lord of gave you the power to overcome me. And he goes, no, no, I'm better than you, Barrick. That's why I overcame you. And then we also get uh, a peeing scene, male nudity too, just in case anybody's, I don't know if it's real, but a hound always goes to the bathroom. That's pretty, almost all the time. But they say, geez, you're, you know, come on, help us fight in the north. Uh, he goes, otherwise, he goes, this is coming. He goes, you can still help a lot more than you've harmed, Clegane. And I said, is he talking to me? At first I said, and it's not too late for you. Uh, then we have Arya. She gets found, and then the, ro- the robot f- finds her. Says the ma- many-faced god always gets what they want. Uh, you can't change it. I can't change it. Uh, he's been promised a name. And then we have this action sequence uh, uh, where the woman, the Arya's nemesis, is running just like the dude from T two Terminator Two. Uh, the one, you know, the, whatever the higher level Terminator was, exactly like it. Patrick, whatever his name was. But Arya's running, and she runs into the bathhouse, and then she thinks she's escaped. But then the girl's up on the ramparts, running, running, and then she jumps. Then Arya rolls through the, the fruit market down the stairs. Uh, leaks a trial. Waits in her bed. Oh, she leaves a trail and then waits in her bedroom. And then she's got needle and then she puts the candle out. And then that's it for her nemesis. Maybe. We don't know. Uh, then Jacques in the house of black and white. He follows a trail. 
But then Arya has to drop on him, and he kind of gives himself over to her. And Arya says, geez, you told her to take me out. He goes, yeah, but here you are, and there she is. And he says, finally, a girl is no one. And he's like, got this proud look on his face. And then she says, a girl is Arya Arya Stark of Winterfell, and I'm going home. And his reaction cuts to Arya. Like, first he's proud, then it cuts to Arya, she says that, and then he smiles, and it grows and grows. And then he looks after her in this rising music. It's just a wonderful scene for, you know, and I guess a goodbye to a wonderful character. We'll continue to run that place, so that's good. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. All right, so we're going to talk just about a few things here tonight. We're going to talk about the history of Renaissance fairs, uh, which I, I guess I didn't really look up before, but it was interesting. And then we'll talk a little bit about the milk to poppy and opium, history of tents, and then maybe have some, well, we will, not maybe, we'll have a little poetry, moonlight uh, poetry session. Uh, so with Renfair, there's going to be three things in the show notes. A Wikipedia article, of course, and there's Renfair.com, which I don't think we'll cover. Uh, but this has, like, uh, stuff for performers. So if you ever thought about getting into Renfairs, this has language. Maybe we will. We'll see about that. And then also FairHistory.org, which has some interesting history as it applies to this podcast, believe it or not. Uh, we'll start as we we often do over at a Re, uh, Renaissance Fair on Wikipedia, which is an outdoor weekend gathering, usually in the U.S., uh, open to the public. I don't know what it costs money to get into, uh, t- typically commercial in nature, okay, which recreates a historical setting for the amusement of its guests. Uh, some are permanent theme parks, while others are short-term events, uh, Renaissance fairs generally include an abundance of costume entertainers and or fairgoers, musical and theatrical acts, arts, handcrafts, and festival food. Uh, some offer campgrounds who, for those who want to stay more than one day. Many Renaissance fairs are set during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I of England. Some are set earlier during the reign of Henry VIII. Uh, or in other countries such as France, and some are set outside of the area of the era of the Renaissance uh, during early earlier medieval periods, including Vikings, or later periods during uh, 17th ancient century pirates. So, but those would be pirate festivals. Uh, some engage in deliberate time travel, encouraging participants to costume, and many welcome fantasy elements such as wizards and elves. Uh, they're arranged uh, to represent an imagined village in England, you know, during Elizabeth I. In modern Renaissance Festival, there are stages and areas set up for scheduled shows, Shakespearean, and this is what reminded me of it, is the, uh, like, usually the one I went to once in high school, I think, or middle school, I think I talked about this, I fell in love with the, they had Romeo and Juliet, I fell in love with the performance of Juliet. And did every every other person there. Uh, so I thought of that with uh, the performance that Arya had been watching with Lady Crane. Uh, some are in the Commedia dell'arte tradition, 
as well as a arachnochristic audience comedy. Other can be dancing, magicians, musicians, jugglers, and singers. And the lanes or streets are lined with shops and stalls where independent vendors might sell uh, Renaissance-themed handicrafts, clothing, books, and artwork. Usually food and beverage vendors and, you know, there's, uh, you know, games of chance, soak a bloke. Uh, rides are typically not machine-powered. Animal rides or human-powered swings. Yeah, we had a human-powered swing last summer. Went on with my daughter and my uh, cousin's daughter. That guy's made fun of me a lot on that, but the workers. Uh, they can have falconry, falconry exhibitions. Uh, and larger Renaissance fairs have jousts, uh, but uh, it was not okay to have elephants or camels. Uh, most people agree. In addition, you know, there's a crowd of actors, both, both professional and amateur, who play historical figures and roam the fair, interacting with visitors. Uh, many fair vendors sell costumes you could rent if you want to participate. The Renaissance Fair subculture word for these costume guests is patrons, a portmanteau of patron and player. And they had a second level, you know, because you can get into that. But usually, if it's in the summer, that's the only thing. It's like hot, you know. At least the one I in the shore of on in Lake Ontario that I've been to. I usually hit that every other year. Maybe 2017, we could have a meetup at the one on uh, Sterling Renaissance Fair. Okay, history of the fairs in the U.S. First World War II was a resurgence of the uh, med- an interest in medieval and Renaissance culture in the 50s. There's also early music revival, and uh, John Langstaff in 57 held a Christmas of Revels in New York City and then one in Washington, D.C. There's a televised version that was on the Hallmark Hall of Fame in 1966 with Dustin Hoffman playing uh, a dragon dealing with St. George. And then Langstaff established a permanent Christmas Revels in Cambridge, Mass., and here's where it connects to uh, the Bay Area in Los Angeles. In 63, uh, Los Angeles school teacher Phyllis Patterson had a small Renaissance fair as a class activity in the Hollywood Hills. And, and then in May 11th and 12th of that year, her and her husband, Ron Patterson, had the first Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Believe it or not, one weekend fundraiser for radio station KPFK, which drew 8,000 people. And then it kind of grew from there. Uh, the original Renaissance player of Southern California was held in 66 at Paramount Ranch in uh, Agora, California. And five years later, the Pattersons uh, created a fall Renaissance fair with harvest theme at a uh, park in uh, San Rafael. And then it moved again, but th- that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. I think there's a golf course there now. It's largely confined to the U.S., even though historical reenactments are no means exclusive to the U.S. It is an American variation on the theme. Uh, European historical fairs, such as Kentwell Hall in Suffolk, England, are more of a living history model uh, in which there's actual history with reenactors explaining history instead of just pleasure, you know, pleasure fair. 
Uh, in recent years, Germany's picked up on the phenomenon since the 80s and then in the 90s, it's uh, spread to Canada and Australia. And of course, we have the Dickens Fair here in the Bay Area, which is a spinoff. And it's also, there's Dickens World, I guess, in Kent, England. I don't know if anybody has a review of that. Internal debates within the Renaissance Fair community, let's talk about debates. There's a a difference of opinion as to how authentic a fair ought to be. Uh, Some believe they should be like the European Living History Museums, while others believe that it's for entertainment. Uh, Richard Shapiro, who runs the Bristol Renaissance Fair outside Chicago, maybe you get anybody there should check it out. He he used to be authentic, but now he favors entertainment. He was quoted as saying, "We're so authentic back then; it was almost painful." So I'll link to the other one about the for performers. But then this uh, fairhistory.org is about the Pattersons. That's uh, the home of their uh, family archive. And of course, I have a special spot for them because uh, they uh, they started the Dickens Fair in 2013. Theirs was uh, uh, 50 years old. Uh, their fair, and uh, so I, I guess I have a great love for the Patterson since uh, I love the Dickens Fair. Uh, but you can read more about their, their history over there at uh, fairhistory.org. So that's a little bit about Renaissance fairs. Uh, so in this episode, Arya is given milk of the poppy, uh, which I was like, oh, that's like opium. And according to the Game of Thrones wiki, it's a medicinal, medicinal drink, uses a painkiller and an anesthetic. Uh, it's used throughout the Seven Kingdoms. Maesters make it from crushed poppy flowers and it has a white milky color, hence milk of the poppy. It is addictive. Lyman Lannister was addicted uh, after he had a fall at the turn of the Atlantisport. They had the episode called The Opium Kings, and it just has a listing of opium throughout history. It started all the way back in 3400 B.C. in Lower Mesopotamia. Uh, the Sumerians called it a whole guild, a joy plant. Uh, and then they passed it on to the Assyrians, uh, who passed it on to the Babylonians, who passed it on to the Egyptians. In 1300 BC, uh, the Egyptians began the cultivation of opium in their famous poppy fields and traded with the Phoenicians and the Minoans across the Mediterranean and Greece, Carthage, and Europe. Uh, 1100 Cyprus, uh, they just started crafting really high quality things to help cultivate it. Uh, this was before the fall of Troy. Uh, 460 Hippocrates, the father of medicine, dismissed that it was magic, uh, opium, but acknowledged its usefulness as a narcotic and septic, uh, stipic, stipict, uh, for helping. 330, Alexander the Great brought it to Persia and India. A.D. 400, uh, it's introduced to China. In 1300, it goes disappearing uh, for 300, 200 years from European historical record because it was taboo uh, during the Holy Inquisition and, you know, linked with the bad stuff. 
1500 Portuguese began trading it along the East China Sea. It started, people started smoking it. Uh, but Chinese still considered it a subversive. Uh, 1527, during the height of Reformation, it's reintroduced as a medical, intermedical literature in Europe as laudanum. Oh, it's the same thing. I did not know that, honestly, till then. Now, in uh, pill form, is Stones of Immortality. Uh, 1600, residents of Persian India began eating it for recreational use. Uh, Portuguese brought it uh, through Macau directly into China. 1606, Elizabeth's first ships from the Renaissance Fair. Uh, purchased uh, the finest Indian opium to bring it back to England. Uh, in 1680, uh, English apothecary Thomas Sidenham Sid, Sid, uh, introduced his own form of laudanum, uh, which is a compound of opium, sherry, wine, and herbs. Oh, boy. In 1700, the ducks, the the. the in 1700, Dutch export shipments of Indian Indian opium uh, to China and Southeast Asia, and they introduced uh, them to the smoking of opium in a tobacco pipe. Uh, 1729, Chinese Emperor Yung Shang uh, introduced the edict prohibiting the smoking of opium and its sale. 1750, British East India Company. Uh, got control of Bengal and Bihar, o- the opening o- opium growing districts in India, and they dominated the uh, opium trade from Calcutta to China. Uh, Linnaeus, the father of botany, first class, first uh, 1753, uh, defined it as sleep inducing in his book Genera Plantarium. Uh, 1767, British East India Company is still doing their business. Uh, and then they had a monopoly through the 1700s. Uh, then 1799, China's Emperor Kia King uh, banned it completely, uh, trade and cultivation. Uh, 1800, the British Levant Company purchased half of the opium coming out of Turkey for import to Europe and the U.S. Uh, 1803, uh, Friedrich Sorterner of uh, Paderborn, Germany, uh, starts to separate the compounds and uh, uh, finds uh, separates morphine from it. And if they say, oh, geez, it tamed, they've tamed it. It's more reliable, long-lasting, and safe. Uh, 1812, John Cushing. Uh, uh, this is more just uh, John Jacob Astor. was op- These are a lot of people smuggling opium and making money at it. 1819, John Keats and other English uh, literary personalities experiment with it for recreational use. Uh, 1827, Merck uh, and Company of uh, Germany start commercial manufacturing morphine. Uh, 1830s is in trouble in Britain, causing a lot of trouble. Elizabeth Barrett Browning's writing uh, talks about uh, how it's impeding her writing. 
1839, the first opium war begins between China and the British. 1840, New England is still bringing it into the U.S., which starts to put a, a tax on it. 1841, the Chinese are beaten by the British, uh, and Hong Kong is ceded to them. Wow, so that was a part of the Opium War. Uh, Alexander Wood in uh, 19, 1843 uh, figures out a new way to deliver morphine directly. 1856, Second Opium War, China, French, and the British. Uh, wow, so this is really denser than I thought. Uh, and you should, I guess there's tons more, so you should go over to uh, uh, Frontline, follow it, and watch this episode. Uh, it should be, you know, usually I've watched uh, Frontline via the, their website before. Uh, you can probably check their archives, uh, Opium Kings. And then I'll link to the Wikipedia article. But there's also the tents in Jamie's camp, uh, the Lannister camp. It was a beautiful set set design, the red tent, red Lannister tents. But it made me think, geez, what are, what's the history of tents? Uh, so there's a bunch of, like a lot of tent companies, obviously, say, hey, we know about the history of tents. Uh, Eureka. It uh, has a nice article over here by Jack Charles, February 20th, uh, uh, 2013, the history of the tents. And, you know, tents are fundamental for camping and hiking used across the world. Often tents have served as homes or environments for staying dry and safe. The design of the modern tent is similar to the original tent, a piece of fabric draped over some poles, you know, but... uh. Materials and features have changed dramatically. Uh, the first tent we can really know, according to this article, what, what, who, for, you know, because it's such a basic concept, who invented it? Yeah, well, when a person wants to stay warm and dry and safe, uh, and there weren't any places to hole up for the night, people improvise. However, there is archaeological evidence of some early sophisticated tents in Russia, 40,000 BC. As possibly easily the oldest tent ever verified by carbon dating. Also appears in the Bible, uh, Isaiah 54 2. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. Uh, all early tents consisted of hide, leather, and other material with wooden supports, ropes, and stakes. For the first 50,000 years or so of human history, the tents rarely deviated from the basic design. But then we had the military tent. Uh, not surprising, the armies drove the innovation of tent technology until recreational tents became popular in the 1900s. The military wanted to keep their soldiers healthy and strong, so they experimented with uh, materials that wouldn't break down after months of packing and unpacking. Guy ropes, it's G-U-Y, I always thought it was guide ropes. Uh, they needed some revisions so they'd be quicker to set up these tents. Uh, Roman soldiers used tents frequently and uh, spread some of the divine, divine design innovations as they traveled. They used larger tents, such as ridge tents and marquee tents, where soldiers, so this is like the Lannisters, could meet, fraternize, and discuss battle plans. 
Uh, Pliny the Elder wrote about using calf skins to make their tents. It seemed like the Lannister tents were made from cloth, though. And used the phrase sub plebis, uh, translated to under pelts. American soldiers used tents when fighting the British in the Revolution. Those tents were made from hemp, and uh, traveling armies also camouflaged their tents. American tactics revolutionized modern warfare because uh, using they use the environment for cover. Without the tent, Americans wouldn't have stood a chance uh, in the frigid forests of the East Coast. Uh, then uh, soldiers started. Uh, uh, they get uh, in the Civil War. Generals would get marquee tents, but the soldiers had what they derisively called pup tents uh, because they weren't even fit for dogs. Eighteen uh, hundreds traveling circus uh, circuses would put up large tents, developing uh, large coverings to protect performances, uh, performers and audience members from the elements. Uh, while tent sizes varied extensively, they still used guide ro- guy ropes and stakes. Uh, a group of Roman soldiers wouldn't have had trouble putting up an American military tent. However, stake placement was critically important, uh, especially in high winds. And then, uh, according to Rika, they're, they're the ones who started the popularization of these recreational tents uh, in the 1900s. So that's a little bit about History of Ten. There's more over on Wikipedia that you could check out. I'll link to that. Nothing too too different. Um, and there'll probably be a couple other ones. But yeah, it's a little bit about tents. That's intense, talking about tents. And I was thinking about Jamie uh, watching the uh, Moonlight, and I was thinking about Shakespeare and Moonlight and poetry. So I have a little Shakespeare here. This is uh, spoken by Lorenzo in The Merchant of Venice, Act 5, Scene 1. How sweet the moonlight sleeps upon this bank. Here will we sit and let the sounds of music creep into our ears. Soft stillness in the night become the touches of sweet harmony. Sit, Jessica. Look how the floor of heaven is thick and laid with pantines of bright gold. There's not the smallest orb which thou beholdest, but in his motion, like an angel sings, still acquiring to the young-eyed cherubins, such harmony is in mortal souls. But whilst this muddy vestiture of decay doth grossly close it in, we cannot hear it. Come ho and wake Diana with a hymn, with sweet touches pierce your mistress's ears and draw her home with music. The reason is your spirits are attentive, for do but note a wild and wanton herd or race of youthful and unhandled colts, fetching mad bounds, bellowing and neighing loud, which is the hot condition of their blood. If they but hear perchance a trumpet sound, or any air of music touch their ears, you shall perceive them to make a mutual stand. Their savage eyes turn to a modest gaze. By the power of music, 
Therefore the poet did feign Orpheus drew trees, stones, and floods, since not so stockish, hard, and full of rage. But music for the time doth change his nature, the man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. The motions of his spirit are dull as night, and his affectations dark as Erebus. Let no such man be trusted. Mark the music. So that's old Bill Shakespeare there. It made me think about it because Lady Crane and the, um, and then Jamie sitting looking at the moonlight. And then there's this poem here by Amy Lowell. And this is from Pictures of the Floating World from 1919. Amy Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L. The Garden by Moonlight. A black cat among roses. Phylax lilac misted under a first quarter moon. The sweet smells of heliotrope and night-scented stock. The garden is very still. It is dazed with moonlight, contented with perfume, dreaming the opium dreams of its folded poppies. Firefly lights open and vanish, high as the tip buds of the golden glow, low as the sweet asylum flowers at my feet. Moon shimmer on leaves and trellises, moon spikes shafting through the snowball bush. Only the little faces of the lady's delight are alert and staring. Only the cat, padding between the roses, shakes a branch and breaks the checked pattern as water is broken by the falling of a leaf. Then you come, and you are quiet like the garden, and white like the asylum flowers and beautiful as the silent sparks of the fireflies. Ah, beloved, do you see those orange lilies? They knew my mother, but who belonging to me will they know when I'm gone? That's a garden by moonlight by Amy Lowell. Had some troubles in there, but uh, sorry, Amy. But I really love the garden is very still. It is dazed with moonlight, contented with perfume, dreaming the opium dreams of its folded poppies. Firefly lights open and vanish, high as the tip buds of the golden glow. Uh, low as the sweep, Elysium, Elysium maybe, uh, flowers at my feet. Uh, so it's a garden by moonlight. And I was lucky enough, it was, since it's poetry time, I've been waiting for a chance to use some poetry that a listener sent me, Stacy Knoll. Uh, it was a lovely book of poetry, uh, Heart First Into the Forest, it's called, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but I think a couple of poems kind of fit in with this theme, so I want to read a few here. And thanks again if, if anybody else, uh, sometimes it takes me a little while to say, okay, this is it. This is the right spot for this. But there's some beautiful stuff here. This is called Ode to Superstition. You come on strong as sun in middle of the day, a grueling matinee, 
as imaginary, as thin, and with consequence as the equator. If X, then a lifetime of Y. If not a heads up, a hex. What strange hand-me-downs, superstitions, awry heirlooms swallowing society's whole, leaving little breathers tied to tethers? What color on four legs crossed our path? How many magpie? Enter the house with the right foot and leave without sneezing. You dome of vain hopes, throat with a dirge built right in. Show elegy for sense, take the soul that escapes with a yawn. Have October's immunity to opals. Another frenzied bride backward lobbing her bouquet. If then, logic slain like a maiden name. The title of this poem is The Lace Keeper's Lament. Just as well that this be my lot, to tend such a finely knit flock. Days I make their velvet cribs, their canopies of glass. Nights I call them home, calm their open rustling. What man could want my needle eye, my neck always bent to the web? What man could win my spinnerets, having had bedfellows so rich, so delicate? Uh, This last one's called The Bee's Recurring Dream. When he wakes to his brother's hum, Sleeps still heavy on his wings, and the wind through the keyhole of the hive hints at something sweet. He tries to shake a feeling. All beeves are petty thieves and their mother's boys, mischievous scouts sent to drink up their badges. In the floozy flowers are indiscriminate. They open themselves to anything with wings. But today he's surrounded By a harem of flowers, he hesitates. As he moves from pink to purple or massacre, he is a dash of nerves, even as he's drawn home to the other drones and joins them mad in their geometric labs. He thinks, what if? What if the first, as it flirted in the grass at Adam's knee, fought off the urge, the pull, to that first generous pistol? What if the first taste set no flush-hot, opulent fever burning in his head? What then? Then would we know only bitterness? Then what would we build? What would grow? What would be waiting in each dark heart of the honeycomb? Uh, Bee's recurring dream. So thanks, Stacy, so much for uh, giving me a copy of your book. And actually, I have a couple other copies that I'm going to uh, kind of give away to patrons now that I've talked about the book uh, or just randomly select. Uh, but if you want to get your own copy, just go straight through the link and uh, you can pick one up. All right. Thank you. And then the bee's dreams, we move on. Okay, Padman, are you ready? Um, I don't, I think, I guess I'm ready. Yes, yes, uh, yes, your grace. Oh, very good, Padman. You're learning to be, you, you, yes, I'm learning to be subservient. We've covered that. Oh, uh, don't take that tone with me. So, Pounce, what do you think about the, the Padman's tongue? That's mine.
Is is, is is is? I wonder if it's a scratchy. Podman, is your tongue as scratchy as it bounces? Okay, Podman, are you ready? We we've been having trouble getting started here, but we'll delete all that so you won't be embarrassed. Uh, thanks. You're a little scratchy yourself, Tommen. Uh, well, I I mean, spending time with you wears me out sometimes, Podman. Oh, really? Because uh, I thought we were just. Is that a... Oh, Podman, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, Pounce, is the Podman tire us out? Yes, then. Yeah, only sometimes, Podman. But hey, uh, hopefully you tire us out with adventure, because I am ready uh, for the rest of my adventure now. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, uh, pack your pod list. <laughs> so, Pounce, I did the Podman. Yes, man, it was a... Uh, I mean, what a... Uh, <laughs> No, 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 Sapounce, it goes, uh, what does it go, Podman? The pod, podcast that makes you wish you were asleep. We do it with some bumbling. Uh, you do, don't worry, I'll mispronounce the rest. Uh, if you think it's so easy to do the podcast, Tom, I mean, you could just do an intro, I guess, for the episode. We do it with the bumbling, Sapounce. Uh, you do the rest. Uh, we, we, okay, Sapounce, what comes after that? Oh, yes. Uh, all you need to do is get in bed and say you just want to be friends with the Podman. <laughs> what did you say? Too far? I went too far there. The best play. Podman will do the do the do the worst. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, Tom, and I don't. Th- I think you're above just be being mean to me. If you want a satire of the show, that's fine. But just you know, oh, thank you, Podman. I'm, I'm glad you're so confident in my abilities. Uh, to belittle you, but I don't need to. You're right. We are equal. Well, we are not equals, but, uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me, bad man. I don't know why. I, I'm sorry. Wait a second. I'm sorry. What did you say? I said, I'm sorry, bad man. I know I, from learning from you and from the adventures, I think I just lashed. I think I lashed out. When you say sometimes you lash out, I think I just lashed out with my words. And I know my words can hurt. I'm sorry, are you going to play a joke on me now? No, Podman, I, I'm, I'm growing. You, you're, you're rubbing off on me. The other day I fell down twice instead of once. So I said, you're, you're rubbing off on me in more than one way. And also, I found myself saying, what is that stuff called I feed to subpounds? What is it? Okay, it's white stuff. Okay, it's like it comes out of a cow. Oh, boy. Okay, it's like a mama. I say, oh, boy. So you see, pour it in a jug. I say, And then I say, I did some podman. I said, you know, why do they call them jugs? Why don't they just call them... And I say, I like to say jug. It sounds so good. Juggity, jug, jug, jug. Uh, lug, and, and then the milk goes lug, lug, lug. Yeah, that's a very podcasty word, damn, lug. 
Uh, look, and that's a multi-use word, as I've learned. And you say, the blue-faced man is a lug, Podman. <laughs> Did you get that? The blue-faced man is a lug. Remember when we watched Bluto? A blue-faced man's a bit like blue, blue-faced Bluto. Bluto, that's another pod. I could do more. Uh, that's, that's another podcast word there. Bluto, where was I? Uh, I do with a bedtime story. I can't stop thinking about those milk jugs, though, because they say, oh, who, they say, and then you say, what a, what a, and then they say, but in my world, they come in stone, uh, stone carrions, uh, or I think they once did. No, they're not stone, are they? Slip outs, what, what are those things called, uh? I see you don't you you need a surpounce pod man to 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 correct you and tell you the words like milk oh it's milk then then you do that oh it's milk I can't believe I say, didn't forget what milk was uh, you know when you do that pod man I always wonder is he kidding or no and then I look at your face because I'm lucky enough to be here and I look at your face I say oh he's not kidding poor pod man. And that's why I said I'm sorry, because I said, oh, who am I making fun of? Uh, anyway, what was I saying? I got distracted there because I traveled in the uh, B- 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 Bluto verse. I wonder if Bluto's ever done any verse, you know. Now that could put you to sleep. Uh, Bluto, Bluto, Zha, 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 Dudo. I am Bluto. How do you do? And Podman eats so much Play-Doh. Uh, so that's how we're going to do it tonight. We, uh, you know, I'm, I've got my, sending my voice across the deep dark night here. I'm going to use my grating and irritating tones. I'm just kidding, Podman. That was a little, I, again, I have something creeping up inside me. We could talk about it when I get through this intro. Excuse me, I was just interrupted by the podman trying to get through this intro here. He popped up in my brain and said, uh, Tom, and this isn't your show. Put your pants on. And I said, oh, dear. And then I called for mother. Oh, where was I? Sorry, uh, my brain bots uh, ate, ate too much of my brain. Uh, but we do with a bedtime story. Sending my voice across the deep. That's the nicest part, podman. That's when you get me. When you say that, because I know a lot of the times you're hiding under my bed and it's deep and dark under there, uh, because you know I'm afraid of the dark. And I know that the listeners should not know that that you're nice, because, uh, you know, we ha- I mean, uh, you are lower than me. You know, we're not equals, but you are nice uh, sometimes. Well, trying to be nice, like... Uh, but you do, you know, I, I like that part. I do. I, 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 and yes, you're looking at me. Yes, I did sneak an iPhone into uh, the Red Keep, four iPhones, so that you cannot find them. And to answer your next question, the solar chargers, I bought them on Amazon with your your login uh, because your password is, uh, I watched you use that and Sapounce did too. Mason, Mormon. Mason, right, yeah, so we got your password, and we have solar charges. No, I'm not kidding, Padman, no. Uh, no, uh, George Armand's not going to find out. Don't flip out. 
Anyway, sorry, folks. I was in the middle of an intro there, and I got interrupted by the Podman uh, complaining about uh, keeping phones in the Red Keep. Uh, but that's it if you hear the first time. Sorry, usually it's me, Tom, and uh, usually we're having an adventure with Sapounce and, uh, and I in Road to Zelda Discovery, but Podman didn't prepare this week. So this is our adventure, an adventure, you know, nice-hearted uh, making fun of the Podman here. And if you're skeptical, I mean, what, who says a boy and a cat can't be best friends? Who who says that a cat dislike her or a boy dislike her? Uh, we are best friends, uh, Sabounce and I. And we're going to do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. Right, Sabounce? Right. Right. Uh, right as rain. Uh, the rains of Castamere, if, if it must be, but that's not for bedtime. Uh, so I appreciate your time. Give it a few tries, because uh, the Podman, believe me, it took me, it took me years, Podman, to not see you. Well, maybe it's felt like years. I guess this hasn't been that long, has it? Yeah, I still prefer you to the blue-faced man. Uh, but thank you for stopping by. I really hope uh, Podman and I can help you. For, you know, ideally, this is late in the show anyway, Podman, right? I really hope we could help you fall asleep. I appreciate your time. Thanks for stopping. I really yearn, uh, yearn, yearn. That's another word. Not rhymes with yawn, or not rhymes, but you say that it feels good. This is what you do sometimes, Batman. It feels good in the mouth, you know. Yearn, yawn. I think one of those authors, Batman's name, forgot. Uh, he would say Yelp or something. And Sapounce, sometimes, what do you say when you get rid of a hairball? Yak. Just like Build a Cat. Remember Build a Cat, Podman? Oh, Build a Cat. Is that Doonesbury or which one is that? Oh, because they took all those Kelvin and Hobbes. Oh, Kelvin and Hobbes. We've never talked about that before either. What a brilliant novel. I don't know why the Maesters don't have things like that in Westeros. I've learned so much about self-discovery. And I know what it means now because of Galvin and Hobbes, Podman. And then all your family photo albums, Podman, with all the pictures of your family and all of you growing up. I couldn't believe you called the name of your family album is The Far Side. Did you hear that? Like watching your family grow. Why did you call your family albums The Far Side? And who is Gary Lawson, your father? Okay, he's just looking at me. Uh, so thank you for stopping by. And that's it. We're on the web. Uh, we'll sleep, we'll sleep with me, podcast.com. Older episodes can be found there. Uh, the Vossite, Podman. That was your family albums. Did you like that? That was funny. Because uh, it's true. You, you, you are more of... I mean, you have a little bit of Cal. I'm way more Calvin. Uh, Sapounce is clearly Hobbes. And you are like one of those guys in the far side. Maybe the one with the... One of those people with the teeth, I think. When I see them, I think of you and I laugh. Even at night when I'm alone, I say, Okay, let me look at one of those people with the teeth. Oh, and I say, There's Podman. Bumbling around, eating bugs or whatever they do. 
Oh, boy, Podman. How come we've never talked about it? Thank you for those Calvin and Hobbes I bought on Amazon. Ten copies each. It is stashed around the castle. I'm glad I've taken over the talking role tonight. So that's it. I want to thank Chris Posty Postison from Sounds Like an Earful. Uh, that's like Podman. Makes me wish I had an earful of sheep's wool. I uh, Carl W. on the record, re- the editing on the eel phones. He, he had to be shocked by the eels in order to edit this show. Uh, Scotty and Jennifer, the honorable art workers. You got uh, Jonathan Mann, he's a lullaby bard. Mystery bard, I love saying that, mystery bard. You know, it's a podcasty word, but oh yes, I've already done that material, but... uh. Uh, the Patreon patrons, because Batman's not landed gentry. If you could see his apartment, you'd give him a lot of money every month. Holy cow. And, uh, I mean, just seeing, you, you know, the Batman, he's a thief, but I appreciate all your help to support the show. I think that's it, and let's get on with the show. So that's it, Batman. I, that was my making fun. How did I do? Uh, pretty, pretty good, Tom, and I think that was pretty, I mean, that was pretty spot on. Oh, yes, it was spot on. Uh, Sapounce, what did you think? Azim, Azim, look at how Sapounce is sitting, so proud. Sapounce, you proud of me? Well, Ralph, of course, and I'm proud of you. Azim, look, Sapounce just licked his hand and combed his hair. That's a move, Padman. Right, Sapounce, that's a cool move. Azim, you know, Sapounce like Snoopy. Uh, more than Calvin and Hobbes. I'm sorry about that earlier thing, Batman. I, I just am stressed, you know. I've used that word from you. Uh, now that you've taught me to use the, those uh, small parts of my brain, Mother refers to, it's catching up with me. Now is it my, I'm starting to think like you. And, and so that that's what that's why I lashed out at you, Padman. I saw myself... And I said, will this be my fate? Uh, I'll be, uh, or could I, you know, just be, could I be happy and married to Marjorie? And King, beloved King, or like the Padman, grinding his teeth in it for eternity. So that made me lash out, you know. Plus, this stuff at home is hard, you know, Padman, so hard with Mother and the Blue-Faced Man. Yeah, Tom, and I don't even know what's going on with home because I've totally... And especially, did you really bring iPhones and Calvin and Hobbes in the far side to Westeros? I cannot tell the iPod man. I also brought every, plus you would look at your bills because, uh, you know how many Snoopy books there are? Uh, lots of them, Pod man. And they do shipping. You can redirect the shipping. So that's what I would do so you wouldn't see it. And then, you know, Sir Gregor, the regular... The human Segrega, not the blue-faced one. He's been helping deliver them. And don't worry, he won't run into the blue-faced man. I showed him Back to the Future too. So I said, Segrega, remember, you're like Marty McFly. Do not run into yourself. And he said, oh, you say run, not self-run. And I see that. Sabounce, what did you think of my Segrega? As I mean... His greatest reign. You already said that once, Sapounce. Thank you. 
Uh, but seriously, Padman, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, I just, it's just when I hurt, you know. Oh, don't worry about it, Tom. And I really think you've grown by thanking me in, in doing imitation. I think I'm flattered, actually, the second part of it, at least. I mean, is that what I really sound like? Uh, Padman, I would say that was more of an imitation, yeah, than a, uh, than satire. I think that's just what you like is, uh, it's pretty not bad. Like I said, if you're in the dark, because I can't read Calvin and Hobbes in the dark anyway. I mean, sometimes I'll pretend I'm Cal. Sapounce says it would rather read Snoopy, though. I think Sapounce, uh, would you make, a, uh, what is that, Woodstock? Would you be friends with Woodstock? Hey, someone. May I mine? Yes, I think he said he would. And that's not, Sapounce doesn't like birds normally. So I guess that's this week's adventure, huh, Podman? Yeah, Tom, and I guess that was this week's adventure, an interlude. Uh, yeah, I guess the interlude were... So that's really what the podcast intro sounds like? Well, I don't know. I've only heard you record uh, one, two, seven million intros under my bed. And remember, sometimes when you say, I mean, I didn't do this because I thought it would embarrass you when you make it, you say, well, that, your mother might like that joke, Tom, and uh, should I go tell her? And then I say, you'll, I say, bad man, give up. And then who's that Miss Sunday? You say, oh, maybe Miss Sunday, if she's ever single, she would like my jokes. And then you say, well, I don't know, probably not. You really are like C-3PO, like you said that one time, without the skills, you know. You're like the P.O., well, the Podman, P.O., Podod, Pod-O. But it's okay, Podman. But yeah, that's what your intros sound like. Uh, okay, uh, let me think here. I've got it, uh, like two bags of salt, uh that's what the podcast is like. It's like two bags of salt. You put it on the snow. Remember you were telling me about that. The snow melts. It's kind of like melting your brain bots so that you don't slip on them. But you say, hey, what the heck? This stuff's no good for my shoes. Everybody, hey, Podman, salt, snow salt comedy tour. Oh, my gosh, that is what I sound like. Yeah, and then you say, well, I'll be here all winter. Uh, oh, no, you want me to leave the club? Sorry, boss, I, I didn't know. I got Roman Mars on the phone here. I asked him uh, for his grocery cart, and I said, just let me leave this here for you. And then I said, uh, I'm going to be like 99% invisible 99% of the time. And I, I don't, some of these jokes I don't know. I'm like a mystery show. You don't even know what I'm talking about. So, uh, thanks for coming by. Yeah, grocery store comedy. You see, sometimes you, 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 you take the joke, Podman, and you throw it off the ramparts. And then you say, well, I pick it up and throw it again. Which I don't think, I mean, you only... Oh, boy, that is what I sound like. Huh? Oh, yeah, I forgot to do Oh, boy. Oh, boy, mother's coming into your room, Tom, and oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, it's time for me to, uh, oh, boy. I just, uh, 
you do that a lot too, and then you say Ashkaj Bagaj. But anyway, that's all we have for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks for stopping by. I want to thank you all the listeners, uh, Matilda, Sapounce, uh, the Podman, uh, Mother, Blue Faced Man. No thank you to you, uh, Uncle Jamie, uh, uh, Lancel, Lintel, uh, oh, 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 you know, the other people in my life. Uh, okay, that's it. Thanks. F- finish it up. All right, well, that's great. Uh, I guess let's get on to the prayers. Oh, yeah, it's crone. Sweet, sweet crone. Uh, okay, I gotta, I gotta go weep, bad man. Uh, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog God. Uh, it's me praying in. I figure, guys, it's time for like an interlude. Uh, since we're, I said, we'll, we'll, we'll better time to interrupt the action because, uh, you know, the Goonies, they had the water slide. Uh, and I said, well, I can't really take the gods on the wall. You know, remember, I think we were talking about that last week. And I also think it'd be a disservice, you know, as Martha Plimpton, uh, to just to Cindy Lauper, uh, to to not at least acknowledge the huge impact, uh, a positive impact Cindy Lauper would have on our journey. Uh, so I guess to take the lyrics, she had two. I don't know if Girls Just Want to Have Fun was actually in the movie Goonies, but I associate it with it because of her other song, Good Enough. And because of her wonderful uh, voice and, and just her, her songs kind of emote me, I guess, or move me. Uh, Crone, are, are you with me? Do you do? What do you think of Cindy Lauper, Crone? Uh, Barky, I know you. You you will move, uh, even though you're trees. I bet you'll move to Cindy Lauper. So I thought maybe we'll just process together some Cindy Lauper lyrics without singing. Uh, God, so let's start with "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Uh, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, Dog, uh, God. You know, I came home in the morning light. You know, my mother says, "What you when you're going to live your life right?" Oh, mother dear, we're not the unfortunate, we're not the fortunate ones. And girls, they want to have fun. Crone, and 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 let me just put this out there, maiden. If you you know, if maidens want to have fun. Two maidens just want to have, you know, if you just want to have fun, maiden, for sure. Uh, but this kind of like reminds me of a credit, you know, they have that in me, gods, that fear we've been talking about. It could be the mother, even from uh, uh, Mother Ma Fratelli, says, What are you going to do with your life? Because remember, I, I we, we rewrote it so that I'm her daughter. She says, "When are you going to live your life right? Like your two brothers, they don't they don't do anything right either." Martha Plimpton. Uh, but you know, crone, sweet sweet crone. The phone rings in the middle of the night, and my father yells, "What are you going to do with your life?" Oh, daddy dear, you know you're still number one. But girls, they want to have fun. You know, they just want to have fun. Uh, sometimes I wonder if I just don't know how. Maybe because they have. Who's the father figure? In this situation, uh, Crone, and then Crone, you're kind of stuck with all these male gods. Sorry about that. Luckily, you're the most uh, uh, dominant one. Barky, you're androgynous for sure. 
And Jester, you rock some, at least you're open, you know, so that's just so, I mean, we kind of got it, it's like, uh, uh, so Barky, can you just lean towards the, you know, maybe like stir up a little feminine side for the crone? I know you're, you're rocking that. You say, well, I'm a tree god. And I say, well, okay, but I'm just trying to figure out how to spin this one. Uh, maybe this is about my certainty, though, because some boys take a beautiful girl and hide her away from the rest of the world. Uh, I guess I try to do that with my need for certainty or I say, well, if I'm not going to get my certainty, I'm just going to hide out and uh, I try to avoid a disaster. Uh, but just like Cindy Lauper says, I want to be the one to walk in the sun. And, you know, even I, crone, sweet, sweet crone, do you just want to have fun? Crones just want to have fun. I mean, that's all they really want. Maybe that's all we really want inside is some joy. I mean, I guess that's really what I want. I'll be honest with you, gods. That's what this whole quest is about. Even my blind quest for certainty. Uh, that's all I really want to. I just want to. I mean, I guess I think I want certainty. Uh, but I just want to, you know, have fun. Let go. And I take things so serious. When the working day is done, oh, when the working day is done, I just want to have fun, you know? But am I good enough? And then that question comes in. But luckily, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog God, uh, Cindy's here to help us. Because we are hanging on to the strains of greed and blues. Uh, I think that says the Fratellis a lot. Break the chain and then we break down. Oh, it's not real if you don't feel it. Unspoken expectations. Holy moly, Lopper, you just nailed it. Wow, I did not realize how this, I'm not, this is a really po- poetic song. Unspoken expectations. That's wonderful. Ideals you used to play with, they've finally taken shape for us. What could describe the Goonies better, uh, you know, in the journey we're on? What's good enough for you is good enough for me. It's good enough, it's good enough for me. I guess that was my old way. Uh, well, you know, if it's not disaster, I'll tolerate it. That's, that's a different spin, good enough. Is that about gratitude, Crone? Uh, Barky, help me out. Is this about gratitude? Uh, now you'll say you're starting to feel the push and the pull of what could be and never can. You mirror me stumbling through those. I I, I feel the pull and the push uh, of what could be. That's my overthinking there, uh, predicting the future. And never can. You're right, Cindy Lauper. Yeah, you mirror me stumbling through those. Is that you gods or me that's in the mirror? Or I, I know I'm the stumbler, but I, hopefully I'm mirroring your stumbling. Oh, here's one. This is a throwback to my days as a baby Martha Plimpton. Old-fashioned superstitions I find too hard to break. Oh, maybe you're out of place. The old-fashioned superstitions, that's how I live my life, Crone. Bad things are going to happen. And if I could just get that certainty, the old cup of certainty... And drink that down, I'll just be fine, right? 
But you're telling me I just can't be in the moment here, guys. Martha Plimpton. Oh, I'm sorry, Jester. Jester just interrupted me. We're supposed to be having fun. I'm sorry, Jester. Totally overthinking. I'm totally botching the Cindy Law. But you're right. Maybe you could teach me. No, 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 no. Maybe the Maiden could teach me. No, no, no. Not you and the Maiden, Jester. Not you and the Maiden Hound Dog, for sure. Hey, Barky. Anyway, I could use some androgen here. You guys can back off. Barky, can I just hug you for comfort? Hey, Barky. Yeah, Barky, could you teach me about joy if I rub my face against your bark? Oh, thank you, Barky. Uh, Barky, what's good enough for you is good enough for me. The branches overhead, the leaves in the trees, the sound of your rustling. Oh, Barky, that's more than good enough for me. I'm sorry, gratitude. You're teaching me gratitude. Rub my face on bark, get gratitude. It's good enough for me. Okay, move on to the Miller. Miller, hard work is good enough for me. Right. Uh, Smith, you're totally right. Creation and forging and nutrition. You two, you're like the pillars of of the craft, of the rigor. You know, you guys are the rigor. For sure, it's good enough for me. You're so right, Crone. Old-fashioned superstitions, I find them hard to break, or maybe I'm just out of place again, Crone. Trying to predict the future, that's my old habit. Or, you know, whatever, the past. And they say, well, that that predicts the future, past uh, screw-ups. Uh, but just being in the moment, like we said, to start the season at Crone, let you handle it. You're right, Crone, take the wheel, you're driving. There's no cars in this part of the movie, but... You could take the wheel of One-Eyed Willie's ship when we get there, Crone. It may be booby-trapped, but so you better take it. Because uh, what's good enough for you, Jester? Yeah, he probably is out of my league, so uh, it would be more than good enough for me. And you got this. You're such a. You're such a. You're such a spry. I don't know, Jester. I just like watching you smile. That uh, you know. You're like the swash. Did did you did they even call you to be Han Solo? Because uh, they should have. No, I mean, no offense. I know they picked a Han Solo, but uh, are you already booked for any Star Wars movies? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I could do the Star Wars movie you're in, Jester. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, why bother? Sco- scooter, Star Wars, the scooter missions. Well. It seems like a lot of work and kind of scary. I'll just stay home. Uh, but you could be my Han Solo because it's good enough for me, Hound Dog. Loyalty. Uh, you know, just, uh, what do you call it, trudging, uh, slobbering, gassiness. Just be letting it all hang out just like you do, Hound Dog God. Oh, you can't, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, you, which, which one are you, which Clegane are you again? You're not Gregor, but I already forgot your name. Sir Davos? I'm just messing with you. I mean, I don't know your name. I already forgot it. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter because you're the hound, the hound dog god. Yeah, you're the best. You're good enough for you to stay loyal. It's good enough for me. So that's it, gods. I guess uh, Cindy Lauper did show us the way. It's good enough, and girls just want to have fun. And as Martha Plimpton, if I'm going to see this mission out to the end, which was close, uh, 
I'm going to have to let go a little bit and let this water slide slide me down under the water. And as I emerge, I see One-Eyed Willie's ship, within which, of course, I assume is the certainty that will change everything, but that's only a empty temptation, right, gods? Uh, the gift is already within me, like in the movie Jewel of the Nile or whatever. All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks and good night.